Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but it felt like I was on my own to figure out all of the answers. So now I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. My guest this week is Tina Muir. And if you've been around in the running space for any length of time, you probably know who Tina is. She's the founder and CEO of Running For Real, a mother of two, a podcast host, an amazing runner, and actually a former international runner for Great Britain and Northern Ireland. I could not think of a better guest to have for this conversation specifically simply because of Tina's amazing breadth and the experience of being a runner in so many different areas. Not many people get to be an elite runner, period. Not many people get to compete on the international stage for their country and then also have the experience just a couple years later of being part of kind of the regular running crowd. Now, yes, of course, Tina will probably be faster than most of us, even on one of her worst days, but I wanted to talk to her specifically because she has seen and done so much in the running world. And I wanted to talk about how your relationship with running changes, it has to change, why it changes, how to feel about those changes as we move through our different phases and seasons of life. Because it's important to acknowledge that the only constant in our world is change. And if you expect your relationship with running to be the same through every season of life, well, my friends, you're in for a disappointment. So please enjoy this conversation. There's some wonderful nuggets of wisdom from Tina. She is such a delight to talk to, and I hope you enjoy. Tina, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here, as I mentioned, offline, but I will now say online. Big fan of what you're doing. I know you have impacted a lot of people. So I'm going to speak for everyone listening and say thank you for the work you've done. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. I've actually, I have I have this list of guests where as a new podcaster, I'm like, nobody's ever going to want to talk to me. They don't know who I am. And you've been on the list from the very beginning. And I feel like I recently got up the courage to ask you to invite <laughs> you on the um, to talk about our topic today, which is the changing relationship that you, 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 the runner, you, the listener will have, um, as, as your relationship with sport changes over time. Um, but go ahead before we get started for anybody who doesn't know you, uh, who are you? And I ask all my guests this, how did you become a runner? Who am I? Um, well, that depends on the day how I answer that. But I'm going to start today with uh, I'm a mother of two girls. I am a community builder, a podcaster, a former professional runner. I am an environmental activist. It still feels a bit weird saying that word, but I suppose I still am. And I'm someone who loves to connect with other humans. So I'm excited to be here. And um uh, how did I start running? Um, I, I've shared the story many times, but it's quite funny and worth sharing in that, um, I actually hid in the bathrooms for the cross country tryouts at my school. Cause I had zero interest in <laughs> anything to do with running. So it maybe didn't start how people would think it would start, but, um, some, I have no memory of it, but somehow I ended up on the cross country team. And, uh, from there I did pretty well. And, uh, just kind of, I suppose, as they say, the rest is history. It just kind of took off from there. Talking today about the relationship that we have with the sport of running. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you about this 
you specifically is that you are in a unique position as being somebody who has kind of been everything that one can be in the running world. Uh, you ran in school, you were a professional runner, like how many, <laughs> how rare is that club? People who make their living as runners. And then of course, now you are many, many things and a runner is just one of them. But I know that your relationship with to the sport has changed and that you still run, but you run for different reasons and, and have a different approach to the sport now. Um, because as we were chatting, as we go through life, our relationship to the sport of running has to change. Not that it's going, it will, it has to change because we as people change. Um, and some of the things I want to talk about today, I think that every runner will be able to understand, but before we get to the super relatable part of our conversation, I want to ask you about your experience as a professional runner. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people who have never run professionally, and that's almost everybody that I know, seemed you know have this really big kind of this high mystique of the the life of a pro and what it means to be a professional runner and there's a lot of romanticism and glamour that goes around that and um tell us tell us in retrospect your experience of being a professional runner and at that time in your life what your relationship to running was like yeah I mean, I have a lot to thank Elliot Kipchoge for in our sport, but I think he's done some damage in terms of making it look so easy that it <laughs> glamorizes the uh, the world of elite running with his smiling while he's just like crushing it, running like three minute miles. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I'm going to surprise everyone by saying that actually being an elite athlete is maybe not all it seems. Um, well, there are definitely a lot of perks and a lot of good things that come of it. You definitely get special treatment. You know, you can call up a chiropractor and be like, hey, um, my leg hurts. And they're like, come in half an hour, I'll get you in. You know, you get that special stuff. But there, with that comes a lot of pressure. Um, and actually when I first um, transitioned into being a professional athlete, I wasn't working and I was training for my first, no, I was training for my second marathon. And I honestly thought I was losing my mind because I could not handle the intensity of knowing that all I had to offer the world and all my career and everything was resting solely on one two hour or two and a half hour run. I mean, the, the pressure there is just immense. I mean, most of the listeners can imagine when you're, when you're standing on the start line, how nervous you feel because you want to do the best for yourself and all the people who've invested in you and the, the time you've given up. But when that is, everything is on the line for that, can't say that's uh, too fun. I didn't last any longer than that race after that race, which I bombed. I um, <laughs> decided that I had to do something else with it, but to answer your question, I think um, it's hard. Um, you definitely have to go into a really deep well. Um, and in some ways, to be honest, I think maybe I have kind of swung the pendulum the other way in that I view that time of my life as more negative than maybe it was. Like my relationship to running maybe wasn't as bad as I think it is right now. But when I look at it, my past and the way I would think about things, which unfortunately a lot of it for me, and I would say many people revolved around the way I looked. It started out as a performance. Um, I wanna run the best I can, but it 
kind of move more and more towards um you know food and um performing to be my best but also to look what I thought was my best and realizing that that was a unattainable um goal because the goalpost kept moving um but yeah I I I would say I had a pretty toxic relationship to running towards the end um I would say in my days in college uh it was up and down and I definitely had some very healthy periods where I appreciated what running was giving to me and I tried to give back to it um but it's a dangerous game the more um you put into it the more uh you feel you have to get out of it um especially when it's such a simple activity that um you feel is the only thing you have to offer which is where myself and many of us find ourselves being I have to say that sounds really really hard to deal with um knowing that the pressure the call isn't coming just from inside the house that the pressure that you feel literally is coming from other people. Cause that's something I talked to a lot of my runners about all, uh, you know, we're doing this because for personal fulfillment and for betterment. And I say to them, the pressure that you're putting on yourself is internal. Your friends and family will not care if you hit your A goal or your C goal. Um, they just want you to be happy. But when your paycheck is on the line, when you're representing your country, that level of scrutiny sounds like for me personally, that sounds awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, um, you know, it's not, as I mentioned about like appearances as well, that piece of it is, is really hard. Not only it's not even you necessarily think people are commenting about you, but we've all heard people make comments about other people and their appearances, especially women. And so, at any point, someone could make a comment like that about you. And, and with this internet world we live in, comments can hide behind a computer at any point. And so, yeah, like you could have some random person making a comment about your performance, like what the hell was that? Or um, I actually had someone who I really respected um, say they didn't think I should be on on the team um, once, uh, international team, and that broke my heart. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a lot of, um, cooks in the kitchen, I suppose. Uh, but it adds to the pressure. I mean, as I said, there's incredible highs when you put your hands up and you cross a tape, uh, in first place. I mean, that feels amazing, but, um, it really is full of real massive highs, but equally crashing lows. I've noticed this more and more kind of looking at professional athletes, in, in all sports as commodities mm-hmm. rather than people. Mm-hmm. And I think in, in team sports, and especially in America and American football, you know, it's, it's pretty obvious that we treat a lot of these players kind of like, not, not like people, but like, yeah. you know, commodities. But then you think of these solo sports like running and yeah, looking at judging from afar, that kind of Monday morning quarterbacking of the tactics or, you know, perceptions about fitness or, you know, judgments about training, um, that we forget that we are all people, those runners that you see and snark on about X, Y, Z are people. And you would never say that to your friend. Why would you say that about somebody you don't know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And we've all done it. I mean, I say we've all done it, but in some capacity, we have all passed judgment on on the way someone has done something, be it uh, a politician, be it a um, commentator, be it a um, entrepreneur, whatever it may be. We've all passed judgment. And so it makes it that much you know what they say, like three fingers pointed, was it one finger pointed out, three fingers pointed back at you? Like, so we are well aware that we judge people and we know that others do the same back to us. And and yeah, it adds to that, um, the inner critic that you have, particularly that comes out in running towards the later stages of a run or a race or a hard day. It just gives that critic steam and, and momentum to just keep on like piling on the negativity. So um, you can have all the, you know, tips and hacks and tricks in the world, but if you uh, if you haven't learned how to deal with those inner thoughts, um, you're gonna have a hard time working against those. And and for me, that was kind of where it got to, uh, where I was just struggling because um, I just couldn't couldn't take the uh, the criticism off myself, even though most of it most of it was probably like internalized from my own um guilt did you were there parts of your professional running career when you just like there you couldn't imagine doing anything else it was Mm -hmm. just the best thing in the world absolutely yeah I mean there was many periods of that um I I remember um after that race that I just met I mentioned about earlier where I was just training as an elite athlete I went back to work I went to work and it was an online job, so I could do it anywhere, which was great. But um, I uh, ran the London Marathon as my next marathon. And I was like, my only goal is to enjoy this. And uh, and I did. I To this day, that was still my favorite race. It wasn't my fastest, but it just meant so much that I enjoyed it. And I enjoyed the buildup and I felt strong. And, and we all know that feeling of when you're in, in training or you're in a race and you just feel strong and you feel proud of where you've come from. So there was plenty of moments like that. And yeah, that's where I think I get myself into trouble maybe now in that I paint this like, it's like this hellhole picture of of an elite athlete. And it definitely wasn't that. Um, there was so many high moments in there. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, getting to go to all these amazing places around the world or, or, you know, a lot in the U S here, uh, get to explore places or, you know, I went to Amsterdam for a European championship and really, I don't know when or if I would have ever gone to Amsterdam. So there was definitely moments where I was like, this is just the best job ever. Like you get to travel and then run for an hour and then travel again. Like it was, it was really cool. So yeah, there was a lot of those too. I have to ask, knowing that it's your job, does it make it any easier or harder to get out the door on days you just don't feel like going for your run? Uh, I guess it would depend on the day. I think definitely easier to get out because you have something, a carrot in mind of what you're going for. Um, And for me, uh, that carrot was running for Great Britain for many years. I would say that to myself. But I also think it can lead you to trouble when you might, you know, maybe have a cold and you're on day one of that cold and you feel terrible and you, but you think 
well, I don't want to miss a day of training. I've got a race coming. And, and then so you ignore it and you go out there and then maybe the next day you're supposed to have a hard run and you think, well, I don't want to skip a thing. So I'm going to do it anyway. And then you pay the price. So I think it can motivate you, but it could also it can also drown out that little voice of reason or that gut feeling that's telling you, hey, you might want to rest today or um, you had a really busy few days. So maybe just back off a bit. Um, it can kind of drown out that voice. So yeah, I'd say both. It depended on the the situation. I know plenty of people who are not professional runners who struggle with <laughs> yes. that exact thinking, right? Whatever the yeah. goal is that they set for themselves and they think, well, I can't miss a day of training. And then always asking the person to step back, right? Yeah. What is yeah. the larger picture here? What is the ultimate goal here? Mm-hmm. And for many people, it's just, we're doing this for personal fulfillment and hopefully to run for the rest of our lives. But it's really hard sometimes in a sport where you do it most days not to get caught up in what happened today Mm -hmm. and focus on today only and forget yesterday, forget tomorrow, forget last week, forget a month from now. Um, Was that any, like, was that better or worse or kind of what's your experience with that? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think we're told that, I mean, especially I think probably the, your listeners, the people listening to this, you feel like you're told from the world that you're a quitter and you can't stick to things and you try a new year's resolution and it doesn't work. Like, of course it doesn't work because you're useless at this stuff. So we, we fear that if we take those days off that we'll just keep on taking days off. And then before we know it, our race day will be here and we've run three days. Um, and it's the same way with like, um, you know, uh, like food restriction in that, like we think, well, if I eat that cookie, then I'm going to, Oh, if I eat that bolt, that candy for, from Halloween, well, I'm going to eat all the candy because I can't stop myself. But actually, I think we're better at uh, um, we're better at things than we think we are, especially for runners and getting out the door um, because we we do it every day. And while, yeah, you might, and I think I was guilty of this. I I don't know anyone who isn't of looking at that day and being like well, th- my coach said this was the most important workout and I've missed the most important workouts. And now I wanna, I'm never going to get to my fitness. On, you know, I'm never going to get there. Um, but we forget that there's all those years of training. And uh, I mean, you know, granted someone may be in their first training cycle and that might is slightly different. But for the most part, those years and years of running, even if they weren't at the level that you maybe are now, they're still adding up. And I've really seen this over the last few months that sometimes I have done very little and I've surprised myself with what I've been able to do because it's not about those few days that I should have, would have, could have done these things, but it's actually the year, year upon year, the layer building. Um, and so while I too do get wrapped up in things and I'm sure even this past fall, I said to a few friends, like, I haven't done this and I haven't done that. And they were like, you know, it doesn't really matter, right? And I'm like, I know, I know. I tell people the same thing. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think everyone does that. Um, but I think it is the cumulative effect that is really what helps us to continue striving. The holidays are here, and this is usually a time for us to reflect on what happened before, but also look ahead and be excited for the future. What's going to happen next year? And you can start the next year off with all the knowledge that you need to guide your training, your health, and your fitness by getting inside tracker blood work done. 
there is no better way to take a peek under the hood than to actually get some blood work and see what's going on to help you push harder, reach farther, and go the extra mile in 2023. Inside Tracker is created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics and analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. Don't you want to start 2023 with all the knowledge that you need to really crush this year? And now for a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash running explained. That's 20% off the entire store when you go to insidetracker.com forward slash running explained. Something I want to talk about is this probably one of those things that, like you said, like I tell myself this and I tell people this and yes, I know, I know it. Sometimes it's so hard to believe Mm -hmm. it's that our relationship with running is more than about getting faster forever because for everybody, there's going to come a day at some point where age will catch up with us Mm -hmm. and our fastest days are going to be behind us. And, um, you know, I know that the, one of the things that you're doing now as a, in your running life is just doing different things like trail running and other like, you know, expanding what it means for you to be a runner and not just focusing on specific events. But I want to ask your opinion and what you counsel people on about transitioning away from being obsessed with getting faster as the only um, value to running. Mm-hmm. I first want to address that I think when people say um, statements like you just did just there about obsessed, it's very easy for us to jump to, well, I'm not obsessed. I'm not like that person who does this, but there's varying degrees of this. And as as long as you are someone who is thinking about the finish line over the training or you're motivating yourself through what can I do, like daydreaming, visualizing what that could be, you still fall into that category. Uh, Even if you're not, you know, I don't know, um, putting it on your mirror and repeating a mantra of like, I will, will run 359. I will run 359 like 17 times a day. Um, (laughs) You still, you still can be there. And while that's amazing to challenge yourself, the beautiful thing that I have found by like coming to the other side of this and almost in many ways for me, like joining everyone else. And granted, I understand anyone who knows me, my joining everyone else, I'll admit is still near the front. Like that, I get that. I have that talent. I have those years of training. Like I know, like, I'm not saying this to say like, look how much I've slowed down. I'm more saying that you can, it is possible to challenge yourself and see what you can do to look up and look around in the race, to look, catch eye, pe- eye contact with people during a race and still do your best, but not be so serious and tight and tense and gritty about everything. There is, I think, a time and a place for that. But as you mentioned, if you want to do this sustainably for a long time, it, you have you're going to go through periods where that's not going to be the driving force. And so if all you are focused on is times and performances and getting to your best, whatever your best is, maybe that's a 27 minute 5k, maybe that's a three hour marathon. It doesn't matter. Um, you, when 
when that motivation or that carrot finally does go away, you are going to be completely lost if that is all you have relied upon. And I say this because I reached that point where I was in January looking forward to a July race. And I realized something is very wrong here. If I'm excited for six months down the road, not even the race, but the finish line. Um, and I ended up crashing out of the sport, quitting and saying, I don't know if I'll ever run again. I don't want anyone listening to get to that point. Um, but even if you are in a point where you really do care about it, just to have that reminder, hopefully this is this conversation is a little seed in your brain that you can come back to to remember that there is a whole world out there. You mentioned I've been doing trail running. I've also been doing guiding a lot, like uh, giving back to the community by running with uh, blind or visually impaired runners. Um, and there's also kind of some fun in doing things where I might... Um, you know, run to the playground with my daughter, let her play for half an hour and run back. Yes, I had a half an hour break in the middle, but who cares? Um, and the fitness is stays higher than we would think it does, but it brings so much more life to your running and so much more meaning to your running to have things there beyond the, um, just the finish. And Beyond that, what we talked about, about motivating yourself out the door, when it's not about um, always like driving towards a goal and being so tense, it it means when you have that gut feeling that says, I, you know, I just, I just don't know, something feels off today, you are more likely to listen to that voice. And maybe that's your body saying like, hey, I'm right on the edge of, of going down with this cold, like... I don't feel great, but you resting, taking that day, listening to that initiative might be enough to stop that cold from taking over your life for a few days, but you knew it. You just in the past had maybe not listened because you were so uh, like, um, committed, overly committed. I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, just some thoughts. <laughs> it does. And it's interesting what I'm hearing from you. And I think this is, this is kind of a, a concept that's been bubbling inside me for a long time is that. I feel like a lot of us go through life trying to beat our bodies and our minds into submission. Mm -hmm. Like if I just buckle down and focus and, 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 you know, want it enough, I can, I'll be able to muscle my way through anything. Yep. And what really we should be trying to do is create this relationship, this symbiosis with who we are that not every day is going to be our day and that's mm -hmm. okay, but it's not about beating ourselves into submission to achieve X, Y, Z goal, mm -hmm. but about learning how to work with what we got Absolutely. <laughs> on any yeah. given day. Well, and that's the beauty of it that you said about beating yourself into submission or forcing it. Like that's another thing I've always encouraged people to not look at their watches during races or runs, which people find so hard to imagine, even though, you know, just 50 years ago, we, no one had watches, but, um, it, it messes with your mind when you are constantly letting outside factors tell you what you should and shouldn't do. Um, if we're running too fast, we panic and we think I'm going to blow up or, or what's going to happen to me in a little while. If you're running too slow, you think what is wrong with me. But if you listen to your body and you let it tell you what feels right, um, and, you know, our bodies don't care if we're going or our paces don't care if you're going up a hill. Um, so if you let your body tell you what it should be doing, it's very much the same thing with your training and running as a whole. That, as you said, when you work with your body, 
that is when it's going to get to this beautiful space where it can it can feel the best and maybe that means running hard on a day that you didn't maybe intend to because you had a stressful day at work but it feels good it feels right and you do it and maybe that means when you had something on your schedule that said you should run hard and you just don't feel right about that you don't um and it's so scary to do that it's almost like giving up control and we as runners love our control um but as someone who has really transitioned into the other side of this I just find it so freeing and empowering that when I don't know one of my neighbors says to me do you want to go do a track workout tomorrow I'm like sure let's go do it and it feels good to just jump in that with no expectations um and uh and so while I'm not saying to everyone to just ab abandon your training um, and just go out there and do whatever feels right, um, it's more the mindset of just trusting your body to tell you what it wants from that, what it's ready for from that day, taking in all the factors it is taking into account that on a conscious level we haven't even considered. So yeah, I think you said that beautifully. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline trying to tell people that they can't trust their watch, like not even just from a technical perspective, right? Just like, oh, your GPS may not be super accurate. Mm -hmm. Getting them to let go of that pace, that, that false sense of security, like this, like, oh, but I have this knowledge. That's so hard. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. so hard. Uh, and whether I think people realize it or not, and I even go through phases like this, it's really hard too, when you come off a, a cycle where things are clicking and you feel really good. And so the numbers make you feel good yeah. and maybe the next cycle isn't clicking as smoothly. And so the numbers then make you feel bad. And even saying that out loud, the numbers make you feel right. That's like you said, 50 years ago, we didn't have numbers, right? <laughs> we just ran. And yeah. even I think 30 or 40 years ago, hearing about elite runners who are training in the seventies and eighties, they would just go out and go for a couple hours and come back and realize, okay, I think I ran this pace in this time and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it, it's, we have too much information in some cases mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily working for us. Yeah. Well, and uh, so I once interviewed Steve Jones, who is like a, you know, a, an incredible runner from the past. Um, I can't remember what he's, his accomplishments were, but he's, you know, one of the top elite athletes in the world of his time. And he would talk about how he, and um, Dick Beasley also talked about this. He finished second in Boston once um, about, is that his name? No, I'm, yes. Okay, Beardsley, maybe. Anyway, um, we, all, we all know who I mean. Or if not, you can put a link in the show notes. Um, <laughs> he talked about how nutrition and fuel when he was running or when they were both running, both of them talked about it, was literally grabbing a cup off a random person on the side of the road. That could have been pee, that could have been water, that could have been fruit juice, beer, 
beer. <laughs> like, who knows? But they just grab, like, because they, and now we're like, well, I need 17 grams per pound of body weight, you know, whatever it may be. Um, we, yeah, we way overthink things and it just takes more and it sucks, sucks a lot of the joy out because we're just overthinking everything. Um, and a few years ago, I asked about, like, um, did I want to be a tester for this, like, uh, patch that was measuring your sweat level and I thought you know something about this that just feels too much like okay if you're Elliot Elliot Kipchoge going for a world record and you want to break two hours fine but for the rest of us like it just puts so much pressure on everything and also like then if you if you're in a race and you drop your gel or you drop your cup, you're like, oh, well, now I'm behind with this. And and again, the numbers make you or, you know, these facts, these things. Um, I just wonder how much they're hurting us over, over helping us. So, yeah. Well, I think it's this false sense of security that we can quantify our way to where we're trying to get to. That if I have enough information and enough data, I will be able to guarantee <laughs> what I'm trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. And that's just not true. Well, especially as we if weather has anything to do with it, it can suck yes. your wrist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. And that's the, that's the reality is there's so many factors outside of our control that the more we control things, the more we're leading, we're just leaving opportunities for things outside of our control to come in and, um, yeah, I, I mean, I've been there. And for someone who's doing that, this is nothing to like, feel ashamed about. We've all been there. Um, but you have to ask yourself how much, how much is it? Um, how much is it taking away from what you're noticing? Are you busy thinking about what whether it's time to take your gel or whether you should take it in two minutes? As you could be viewing I don't know, a baby bird taking flight for the first time. Like this, you know, what what are we missing while we're um, overthinking everything? <laughs> and I've been there. Was there a point either in the moment or in retrospect mm -hmm. that felt like an inflection point, like uh, now everything's different when it comes to running and how you felt about it? Um, I think there was two moments. One was the, I mean, there was many moments actually that really kind of looking back were, were signals like my dad saying he could feel the bones in my back when he hugged me. That was a real moment when I was like, what am I, what have I done to myself? Um, and my dad doesn't make comments like that. There was a moment when I went for a run after my running a PR and it was maybe 10 days or two weeks and I felt so bad. I felt so bad. And I um, and I remember thinking to myself like, what is wrong with you? Um, and, and being like, there's something not right here. Uh, and then another moment running along a trail in my hometown in St. Albans and thinking like, I was in my morning run and I was thinking, oh, I have to run again this afternoon and I just don't want to. Like in my morning run, I was already dreading the afternoon run. That was another flag. Um, and then I won't go over the moment when I stopped running because I've shared that so many times, but that was another moment. And then the other direction, there was, there's been a few moments where I, um, 
kind of felt like I was on the journey. So when I ran the Disney World half, which was my first race postpartum, that should have been uh, a, a moment where I was like, this is Tina 2.0. But instead, I was still thinking how far behind me is the second woman. Uh, and that was a sign of like, you're not there yet. <laughs> um, and the same thing with Boston. Um, I was really struggling and I couldn't let go of my first Boston was 2019. I couldn't let go of the fact that it wasn't going how I wanted it to. Um, and I think a lot of the moments where it's dawned on me have been the moments where I've been a guide for other runners and realized like, wow, there is so much more to this world than just me chasing my PRs and how much, how good that feels, uh, to be out there doing something to support someone else. Um, and then I would say actually finally this weekend, uh, sorry, I'm dating this episode, but, uh, I ran a 30 K and I ran a course record a week after running New York. And in that, before that race, my, one of my friends said to me like, about, like go play. And I thought, yeah. And, but in the race, I thought to myself, what does play mean? And I still wanted to push myself as hard as I could go. I gave my best that day. I really did. And it was that realization of, hold on, I can go into this with fun and joy, but I can still challenge myself. It doesn't have to be like <sighs> collapsing at the finish, but like <laughs> I can still push myself and, um, and, and challenge myself, but without losing that joy of it. So yeah, there's been many moments, all kind of like little markers along the way. And I'm sure we all have those. I actually really like, I really like that, you know, pushing yourself as hard as you can, but still having fun. Cause I think for a lot of people, we have to decide it's either, or, mm. or we decide after the fact, whether we had fun or not based on how we ran. Yeah, absolutely. Like, Oh, you know, in the moment mm -hmm. it could be, you could be having a, a total meltdown, mm -hmm. but when you cross the finish line yeah, yeah. and you get the time you wanted, you then decide you had fun. Yeah, after absolutely. That's such a, that's such a good point that is not talked about much at all. Like what, how our finish? Yeah. We reflect back on a, on a moment more positively, even though we just were struggling the whole way through. And I, this weekend really was aware of the fact like I was really enjoying watching my feet kind of dancing through these, like it was, you know, it was a trail race. So it's very technical. And I was, I was like, wow, this is so cool that like, look at what my body is doing. Like, how is this navigating this like really technical leaf covered terrain? And yeah, it was such a like opposite moment to that. Um, in the, I was like, this is really fun. I'm like being a kid trying to like, jump in amongst puddles and stuff. So yeah, important. I want to ask you about, um, being a mother runner. I work with a lot of clients who are parents, especially women who have a real fear of, you know, being able to return to where they were before they had children or ever being able to, you know, run fast again. And I, I think it's really important to keep talking about this, that you can have kids and although you may have to return, right, walk the path and rebuild some fitness, it's so it's going to be okay. Like you will run again after you have kids. Yeah. I think there has been, um, that's, I think one way that elite athletes can be quite 
I think for the most part, most recreational athletes look at elite runners and say like, okay, you're different. You're just a superhuman. You're a different animal to me. Like, I'm not even going to try and compare myself to you. But I think that's one way where maybe mothers are desperately trying to find someone to look up to. Like someone has done this right. And there's examples of elite athletes who have bounced back incredibly quickly. And it's made other women think, oh, wow, maybe I could do that. And I saw this myself with my second child. I had women reaching out to me and saying, um, I'm a few months behind you, but I see you're, you're running this already. Like, that gives me hope that I can do the same. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, please, please don't compare yourself to me. Like, my, this is one area where my talent, and, and there is a true gift, but my talent is just going to make me take jumps. And so I, I think it's very hard to not look around and see other people and think, why can't I do that when each woman's body is going to handle pregnancy different each pregnancy a body is going to handle different um and so that is I think more than anything the one time we have to stay away from comparing to anyone because I mean we've seen it we maybe have experienced it or we've seen it in other people where everything seems to be coming back together I mean Alephine uh, Tulamuk is a great example of this looked like it was coming together and then crash um all fell apart like hips pelvis something isn't quite right and so um you can get back you will get back if you want to and if you don't that is okay too I've as I said realized that for me I just don't want to go there to putting in the work to be where I was before um but if you do you can and the journey being longer is going to make it so much more rewarding. I mean, I've seen a lot of women, um, uh, Janae Barron, uh, who's hungry runner girl on Instagram. She's a great example of this. Um, she has had three or four kids and she is now just doing so well. And, um, it, but it, I think her youngest is two or three. So it's come, it, it took time, but you know, she's crushing it now. So I think again, it's just that damaging comparison that gets us into trouble um but I also want to say like make sure you fiercely guard, guard that time for yourself because it's very easy to get lost in being a mother and feel guilty for asking to go for a run um and so skipping because you don't want to take time away from family or um to cut things short or finish things early because you'd feel like you shouldn't have left your partner for that long or whatever it may be um, you are going to be a better mother if you do something for yourself, whether that's running or not, or a combination of both. Um, so I think it's important to speak up for yourself, but also to ask yourself, what do you want? Are you doing it because you want to, or because you feel that's what other runners are doing? And I think in, in this day, you know, 2022, almost 2023 in social media, mm -hmm. it's just, <laughs> it, it is what it is, right? This is our life now. Mm -hmm. And that unless you forswear social media and, you know, put yourself in a little hermit's cave, you are going to be exposed to stories, examples, you know, people who are doing things which are not going to be right for you, but it's really hard not to yeah. play the comparison game. Yeah. I mean, and that's I've just had, part of being it, human. It can be triggering as well. Like I've definitely had things where I can feel myself feeling this negativity towards a woman who is doing something like a woman who runs fast in late pregnancy and being like, 
I can feel that judgment in me coming up and being like, well, that's dumb. But then I'm like, are you just saying that because look at like they're kind of pushing the boundaries on what is possible. And so especially during like postpartum period, we are worn down from from sleep, lack of sleep. We are maybe not feeling great about our body. It's it feels confusing and, and not our body for for, you know, a year and a half after you have the baby. And then you see someone doing something that you couldn't do. And you think, of course, we're going to make judgments. We we're at our weakest in many ways in terms of like allowing these negative thoughts in. Um, But you're right. Like it just isn't serving you. And um, while social media is always going to be around for us, unless like you said, you completely can cut away, which is very difficult to do. Um, this is a really important time to, to follow people who either make you feel good about yourself or are people who are nothing to do with, um, nothing to do with your sport. Like I love, uh, following, uh, Jamila Jamil, uh, who was, uh, Tahani and a good place. Like she's an amazing person to follow and I, she's nothing to do with running, but I just really love the approach she has to life. Um, and so finding people who maybe you hadn't followed before, but who make you kind of laugh or feel good, um, is important. I wanted to ask you a bit more about exactly that kind of what we see on social media in the context of elite runners. Um, because like it or not, you know, to be an elite now, most sponsors contracts kind of require some sort of social media presence Mm -hmm. and, you know, every, every athlete handles this differently. I know that there's a lot of, I think recognition and like athletes sharing kind of the, the dark side, right? Like Mm -hmm. the, the, you know, Molly Seidel is a really good example of being honest and open about, you know, her journey just as a person who happens to be a very, very fast runner. Um, you know, talking about when races didn't go the way they wanted to, what happened and Jake Riley and dealing with the reds and like all this stuff. And, but I wanted to ask you, you know, there is, there is a downside to that, that the expectation of privacy. Okay. Let me back up and say this. I think we've swung from looking at elite athletes through the gloss of perfection. Like everything they do is correct and everybody is perfectly happy and healthy all the time. Mm -hmm. We know that's not necessarily true, right? It's just something that comes along with the sport. Now I think we're having athletes who are being more open about their honest and real experiences. Um, But it makes me sad that they have to expose themselves like that. I'm glad that people are starting to be more open about the rawness of what it takes to just exist as an elite athlete in this world. But it like, I wish they didn't have to on some level, you know what I mean? Like it, it, it must be so hard to take this experience that you're going through privately as a human being and then feel an obligation to like explain yourself to the world. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think I'm in a bit of a different spot in that I've always for me vulnerability has always come somewhat easily and I I feel very connected to people who do share their downs uh however I Molly is the best example of this like you can tell she is not comfortable she does not want to do this but yeah like on some level there is some obligations there someone somewhere is nudging her saying hey you haven't said anything in a few weeks you need to say something um 
and yeah, that is a big piece of it. Um, and it is hard for people. I mean, I know I can think of many friends who have gone through an incredible, elite athletes that is, who've gone through an incredibly traumatic, um, last two years and they have either been dropped because they haven't said anything or they have, um, yeah, felt a pressure to say something. Um, and often been glad, oops, often been glad they did because, um, of the support they received and the, um, kindness showed, but even that can then be overwhelming. And Molly again has talked about this. Um, uh, Ali Ostrander has also talked about this the overwhelming amount of responses and people who feel that because you have shared that you are now friends and so they will share their like traumatic experience with you and now you feel obligated to reply and give them a thoughtful response now this is something I do have I have a lot of people who share their deepest darkest secrets with me and um it can be overwhelming at times so uh I, I, but at the other side of things I get that because like Brene Brown is like my like North star. And I feel like if you just met me, Brene, you would see that we're meant to be best friends. Um, <laughs> and so I get it. Um, feeling that connection to someone who just you resonate with on such a deep level. Um, but yeah, again, it adds to that pressure because now you've got, and I have it mounting in my DMs, all these messages that I quote unquote need to respond to feel that this person has shared with me, but um, it's hard to put yourself out there and especially to feel that, um, you know, to know that another human has then, um, shared their deepest secret with you and you not necessarily having the headspace or the time to respond to that. It's, um, a tricky situation. I'm sure you've had some of those as well. Some, I mean, there's a, and I've talked about this a little bit before, um, uh, there's a very conscious decision on my part that this is not, the Elizabeth show that it's running explained, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. um, I'm a very introverted person. Like if you ask me a question, I'll answer, but I'm not about to take center stage and just start talking. <laughs> um, and you know, cause it is, it is really hard. There is a lot of stuff that just as humans that we go through that you, if you felt like a random person on you, you had the obligation to then share your, inner trauma and turmoil with the world in order to keep your job. Mm-hmm. Cause I feel like sometimes when we have, you know, athletes who come out and not to say that they're necessarily sharing in order to, to keep their jobs, but sometimes it is like if they get enough support behind them, then the sponsor will see value in keeping them, even if they're not placing as they should be in their races, yeah. you know, that's, that's like, that's, I could, for me, that would, that's like, I'm just squirming in my seat thinking mm-hmm. about having to do that, to choose between privacy or a paycheck. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I love Strava, but that's another good example is like people want to geek out over elite runners training plans or training, but where's the risk? Where's the line of like how safe you are or like, you know, the safety concerns with that is, um, a little bit worrying like people want to see that stuff and maybe sponsors appreciate that that people can feel like they're connected to their training but then you're giving hints as to where you live or or what you're doing um where you are on a Tuesday morning and so um yeah it's a strange world to be in that elite athletes have become these yeah as you said earlier commodities that um there is 
kind of ownership of in many ways and um and in some ways entitlement to like well we deserve to know what's going on with this person because I bought a pair of shoes that she said I should buy um so yeah it's a for me I don't mind as much but I definitely have a lot of friends who struggle with it a lot and beyond the privacy aspect which I know is a huge concern because mm-hmm. um, people ask me to follow you know are you on Strava yes I'm on Strava yes it's private no you can't follow me <laughs> um, for a bunch of different reasons but again back to that kind of like quantifying and control that if I can just find out the magic formula we love to look at other runners data to be, to unlock the secret right like oh this runner who mm-hmm. I, uh, this, you know, recreational runner who I idolize ran this goal and that's my goal too. And maybe if I just copy her training, I will be able to run that way. Mm-hmm. And that's just not how this works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Any of this works. <laughs> no, no. Um, I mean, there's, there's so much of that. And again, I think going back to elite runners, that's a lot of what people do. Well, if I, okay, so maybe I can't run a hundred miles a week, but maybe if I run like 65 miles a week and I do her workouts, then, then that must be the answer. But yeah, there's so much more that goes into things. And I think it's important to mention that we don't know what else is going on in, in anyone. We might copy their training or whatever of their life. Like they may be having a massage once a week. They may have a, um, they may be foam rolling every single day. They may be, uh, they may have a, a chef at home who's making all their food for them. Like there's so many factors that can go into things, um, that just make our situation so different. Um, or even, you know, with kids, we mentioned like maybe they have, um, family who comes over every day to take care of the child. So they're not, you know, their training doesn't get in, um, affected by that. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's a dangerous game to to be doing that. And I'm glad you brought that up because it's an important point. And the childcare aspect is huge. I mean, I know I know a couple runners who are very high volume runners who are very upfront with the fact that they can run doubles because they have really reliable, easy access to childcare, whether it's mm-hmm. babysitter or a nanny or family members or a combination mm-hmm. thereof. And they are very upfront about like if I didn't have these resources, I would not be able to train this way. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact like, oh, everybody's the same 24 hours in a day. Like that's simply not true, right? We yeah. don't all have access to the same resources. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. we just, it's just, you know, you cannot compare yourself to somebody else's life because you are to- two totally different people. Do you know, that's funny. This is off topic, but this morning I was listening to Meghan Markle's podcast, which I highly encourage everyone. It's, it's archetypes and it's about women. It's really, really powerful. But anyway, she was talking about, she was talking about, um, being a mother and how mornings in her household are crazy and, and how she likes to make breakfast for her, uh, herself and the family every morning. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. Like I should make breakfast for everyone, you know, as you do. And then I thought, hold up. While she might be making the breakfast, she probably then hands off everything else to someone else who washes up and puts things away and, <laughs> you know, goes to buy the food. And it was like, cleans the what? toilets and folds the laundry. <laughs> and like, yeah, she's not also doing those things. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's so amazing that she makes her breakfast. And I was like, wait a minute, you make, you make breakfast for the kids. Maybe not your husband. You make breakfast, you, you know, clean the toilets, you wash up, you, you know, all these things. So um, it was just such a like a laugh to myself because at first I caught myself in that like I should do that and then I was like hold up you don't know what's going on with her she has so much more help than you do so yeah (laughs) 
Um, I, I've, it's, there are so many podcasts that one's been on my list to listen to for a while. So good. So good. Bump it up. Yeah. Um, I want to, I want to continue on this. The whole point of the conversation is that your relationship with running will change. And I think some people may listen to this and say, you know, well, it's really easy for Tina to say all this because she has this gift, you know, that Mm -hmm. I try to point out to people elite runners are just not like the rest of us. Mm -hmm. Like they were born differently, right? No amount of training will turn me into you none whatsoever. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but we all have our own gifts, but that over time, our relationship with running is going to change and not even like in the decades long view, right? Our relationship with running when we're 80 is not going to be the same. It is when, when we're 20, but even throughout the year that the seasons of life, sometimes literally the seasons that we go through, kids are in school, kids are out of school, you know, uh, sun rises at 5 a.m., sun rises at 8.30 a.m., like all these different things will influence your ability, you know, the kind of running that you do throughout the year. And again, going back, we're not machines, you know, we cannot quantify our way to a result. You know, do you, do you want to speak more on that and just being able to kind of roll with the punches and be flexible? Yeah. So, um, I am just finishing up my, uh, book, uh, becoming a sustainable runner, which is partly about, um, as you can imagine, sustainability, but also about community. And the first part, the first third is about a long-term sustainable relationship to running. And we, uh, my co-author Zoe Rome and I went into detail about the various elements of your relationship to running, but one thing that we spent quite a lot of time on, which I think is so important to mention, is that, um, yes, m- we may have multiple goals throughout the year. Maybe you have a spring marathon and a fall marathon. Maybe you have five 5Ks or 10Ks that you want to shoot for. But at some point, you have a loss in a family or you are moving house or um, you have an older parent who you are trying to negotiate moving into a um a care facility those things we often think oh well my running is my escape running is my thing I'm going to use to to get handle those periods and yes it is but we also need to make sure we take into account the stress on a like cellular level that those major life changes are putting on us that make it just unrealistic for us to really give our all because it's sucking um, energy from us, whether it's like a good or a bad thing. It, you know, baby, obviously, I mean, I guess in every situation, there's there's some things that are positive and, and, um, and not. But those definitely need to, um, will change your relationship to running. And maybe you do find it as an escape, but it doesn't mean that it needs to be goal tied. Maybe you use that period as like, I'm going to run for as long as I want, when I want, till I get through this stage but there's other periods of life where maybe you've got a big work project or your child is having a tough time at school or um you are in a fight with your sister or something something that isn't a major life change but all these little things that add up um to in those periods running may be something different to you maybe during those periods running becomes something where you feel like yourself because the rest of the time you can't you don't get to express yourself in the way you want to. And so I think quite often we pick goal races and we just say, okay, 
the 12 weeks before this is when I'm committing to this and I'm going to do everything to this. But then life happens and we just kind of say, oh, screw it. I'm not doing this. Never mind. Like, whatever. Um, and we get so frustrated. But life is always going to be there. Life is always going to throw curveballs. And so all we want to be able to do is just do our best for the day, whatever that is, and remind ourselves that stress is stress. Doesn't matter if it's physical, mental, training, or otherwise, like it all adds up. And so whatever your best is for that day, even if it's nowhere near what you wanted it to be for your training, that is okay. Um, and it's okay if running isn't a part of your journey for periods of time when you just feel like you need space from it. So there'll be that loyal friend who will always be there. This is a really challenging concept for a lot of runners. Just think people to understand. And I mean, I I've had runners straight up deny to me that the, uh, work travel and loss of a parent and poor sleep and blah, blah, blah has absolutely no impact on the fact that they bombed all of their runs last week. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, I don't know how else to explain this to you. You know, this is, this is very real. Well, the um, thing is, we also see it in a, when like you saying it to that person, you're like, of course. And they, if that was you, you, they'd be like, of course, like we can see it in other people, but we think we're the exception. Yes. Yeah. And that's why I think it's so hard to train ourselves effectively is that we always, you know, we, we tend to cut ourselves the least amount of slack. Mm-hmm. Like I know, I, I think for most people, we are talking about being kind of, kind of judging, you know, we all judge somebody for something at some point. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for me, I am so much harder on myself than I would ever be mm-hmm. on like anybody else in this entire mm-hmm. world. Yeah. And the things that I would say to myself and the things, you know, the, ex- the expectations that I have of myself, that if you view them through the lens of like, if I were ex- expecting that of somebody else would just be ludicrously you know, <laughs> laughably, um, high expectations. And we expect our, that from ourselves every single day. We expect perfection of ourselves mm-hmm. that in a way that when you kind of flip the script around and say, this is, this is crazy. Like you would never expect this from anybody else. Why are you expecting it of yourself? Yeah, no, I'm, I hear you a hundred percent. We, it, we are our worst own worst critics and, uh, yeah, we can cut ourselves we can cut everyone else the like, well, could have been, you know, remember this? Yeah, to yourself, it's like, it doesn't matter if I've got that going on. I should be able to, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's forever going to be something we work on. I think part of that is like generational trauma we're maybe in this generation trying to work through, but I think also it's just what we're told um, on a daily basis um, by the media and by other people, what we see on social social media, especially, it's, it can be toxic and, um, and perpetuate it in many ways. So I'm really glad that you talked about this often because I think it's something that needs to be talked about more. <laughs> and I think whether we realize it or not, I think a lot more runners tie their self-worth mm. to their goals. Mm-hmm. As in, if I do not achieve this goal, I do not have the value I thought that I did. Yeah. Right. And that's, Absolutely. I mean, we would, first of all, you're not, your value has nothing to do with 
you know, the goals that you set, whether you achieve them or not, that's Mm -hmm. kind of besides the point to tell somebody, I think you can probably identify with this to look at somebody and tell them the only worth they have is tied up on whether they can run this pace for this distance or not. Mm -hmm. That's so, that's such a distillate. Like that's, that's so cruel. We are so much more than a pace or a distance or a time. And that's where I think I was once told by a psychologist, what would you tell your 17 year old daughter? Uh, and I was 18 or 19 at the time. So it wasn't like when I was a parent, that doesn't matter. Um, what would you tell your 17 year old daughter? Because like you said, in that situation, if someone you cared about was said they were going to run a race and then afterwards they said, oh, it just, it just didn't go well. You would never be like, well, you're, of course it didn't. You're worthless. You would say like, that's okay. Like, I still love you or something like that. Um, and just quickly, actually, I have a funny side story on that. The first marathon I ever did, uh, I, I I blew up spectacularly. And I finished, and I remember being in, in uh, doing my master's the next day, going in, and, like, friends came up to me, and they said, oh, did you run the marathon yesterday? And I said, yeah. And they were like, congratulations. And then they turned around and walked away. And I was like, but you didn't, you, you didn't hear how bad, it, like, it, in my head, I was like, you didn't hear how bad it was but they didn't care. They just were like impressed that I even did it at all. Um, and so I think that's like a good example of, yeah, we, um, your loved ones and other people like really don't either love you. They care about it because you care or they literally don't give a crap what your, (laughs) what performance you've done. It just doesn't matter to, uh, to them. And that then is a situation of the calls going from inside the house. The the yeah. value that you're placing on achieving the goal mm-hmm. is entirely coming from inside you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it's you deciding that it that's so that's what makes you have value. Yeah. Right. So it's this weird circular, like you can't, you know, the, you, you can't really justify it. You're like, mm-hmm. if you know, I don't achieve this goal, I don't have value, but I'm the only one who decides whether, you know, whether this goal has value. So wait, where, you know, where <laughs> okay let's break this down you know then it's you are more than whether or not you arbitrarily achieve this thing Mm -hmm. that you're ostensibly doing for fun yeah and that's the point of the as you said the relationship to running is 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 that that's it is um recognizing that you are more than your performance and once you do that it opens your eyes to a whole other world of of running possibilities but for myself like I'm even considering some other activities that maybe I've always kind of wondered about but never done um and that was by letting go in a different way of of what does running mean to you so um you know the relationship to running is complicated but at the end of the day it also is very simple (laughs) Tell me more about that. I want to hear about the other things. Cause when you're, when you run and when you run, I'm going to say seriously. And by that, I mean, as your primary sport and something that you like to do, mm-hmm. it's, it's something you do most days of the week. It doesn't leave a lot of time for non running activity. And there are so many great things to do out there that aren't running. Yeah. And I say this to somebody who loves running. Yeah, no, it's a weird place to be in. I, so I recently went to this outdoor media conference where there was, um, there's people from <laughs> I went to this event and you know I'm used to going to places where there's runners everywhere and so I get in there and not a single person is a runner and I'm like okay um what do I talk to these people about 
and they're like, I'm an ice climber, I'm a backpacker, I'm a hiker, I'm a snowshoer, and I'm all these things. And I like, I was like, oh, like I didn't even know what to talk about with them. And we'd start talking, and one of them said uh, was a whitewater rafter, and she was like, you know, when you make a run, uh, like when you do a run, and I was like what do you mean do a run? And she was like, oh, sorry, that's a term we use in whitewater rafting, like run down the river. And I was like, oh, okay. Like there's other ways of using that word, really. <laughs> um, but it like really got me thinking of like, there's so much out there that I don't want to wake up one day and be 70 years old and said like, yes, I've loved my running journey, but I, I now, I never got to do those things. And so, yeah, there are parts of me that wants to try some of those outdoor sports um i will say that i think climbing is maybe one that i might try um i'm currently like seeking out whether that would be is part of it is seeking out logistically because i recognize that that adds stress to my day in that running i can just go out my door but with this i would have to drive to a gym i would have to pay for a membership all those things um and part of it is fear. I'll be honest. It's like, I don't know a world where I run three days a week. In my running world, I either run five to seven or I don't <laughs> run anything. So I have never been in that place where I have run three days a week. And so can I take that step? I'm not sure yet. And I guess that's a real test of what we've been talking about is my relationship to running. Can I let it go to the next level? I'm not sure yet. So, um, but I just have, yeah, realized like this, same as a sport like tennis. I love tennis and I can't tell you the last time I played tennis. It's got to be 10, 15 years. Um, and so, yeah, um, while running is amazing, I think sometimes we do sacrifice potential other methods of joy because we just identify so much as a runner and it's so compulsive to do it that we find it hard to not do it. So. We'll see. To be continued is my answer there. <laughs> I, I appreciate you saying that because I completely understand. Other people may not. But when you say if only running three days a week and I'll admit, I mean, that I, I don't I don't know that I would be comfortable in that in my relationship with running right now if I only ran three days a week and I was doing other things as well. Cause what would that mean about what I was training for? What would that mean about my fitness? And mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot, there's, that's the thing I love about running is like, it's always so much more than just about running. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? It's way more, was layers and way more things to unpack here. Mm -hmm. But I appreciate you sharing that. And I, I completely understand where, what that means. Well, and you're fighting against what you, what I have definitely been told is that like quitting is for losers, which I know is not true on a logistical level, but like in my head, that's me being weak and saying, like, I haven't run today and I'm not going to run today. Um, and that saying like, I am choosing to ignore that voice that's telling me like, oh, you wimp, you didn't go out there today. You're so, you say you're tough. You think you're so tough, but look at you. You won't even go out. Like that's going against those voices that tell you like, really, you're going to you're gonna like skip another day? Like it, it, it's challenging in a whole different way. Um, and I don't know how I'm going to handle it. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sure there will be days where I maybe like I've run three days that week and I'm like, okay, then I should... 
I, I, I want to rest again, but I'm like, oh, no, get out there, get out there. You know, that I give in to that voice. But um, yeah, we've been told that you either, if you're going to commit to something, then commit to it, for God's sake. You know, like, <laughs> um, so it's going against that and it's that's scary. So, yeah. And if you, if you're not all in, you're just making excuses. I hear this from a lot of runners, you know, who will come to me and say, you know, something, something I got sick or, you know, it was, it was 90 degrees outside or all these things. And, and then I'll point out like the kind of context that the race or the run took Mm -hmm. place in and be like these factors, did you, they're like, that just, it feels like I'm making excuses for a bad performance. Yes. And that's like, that's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. right because it's not an excuse it's it's just reality mm-hmm. but it's again it's just it's it's easy to say that to somebody else and it's so hard to say it to ourselves and mean it yeah well I'm gonna be I'll be experiment 101 and see how this goes <laughs> I haven't managed it yet I mean uh I jumped in this uh the 30k I did um on the week I was taking off <laughs> so <laughs> I haven't managed it yet <laughs> We'll see how the next few months go. That's uh, that's the plan, but I don't know. Yeah, it's it's terrifying in some ways. Well, I appreciate you sharing that with us. Yeah, it's just another example, right? That real life is messy. That running is not yeah. this neatly wrapped up package that I think we want it to be in yeah. a lot of situations. Yes, uh, and that you know, every no matter your level of innate talent and where you are in your journey, this is just part of what it means yeah. to be a runner. <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about lately that I want to make a course that's like how to go from a type A to a type B. <laughs> like how to train runners to like chill out and let go of things. Like I'm not there yet myself, but I'm just like, I feel like there's so many of us that have this craving to not be so controlling, but it's so hard to do. Um, so that's kind of forever in my like mental to-do list of how can I like help people because it is really really challenging um when you've always been that person like you said with running we want to control all these factors and fit it into this way and it's supposed to go that way to letting go of that is uh is tough (laughs) I can't tell you how many people because you know I do coaching and Mm -hmm. um and and consults you know and how many people will say to me just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I have to say, that's not what this is about. <laughs> exactly. Like I will, you know, I will show you the path, but I want you to learn uh-huh. how to be flexible. I want you to learn to listen to your body. If you, all you're doing is just blindly following what I'm telling you to do, like I'm not doing my job correctly. Yeah. And again, uh, I mentioned Brene Brown. I remember hearing her say once about the first time she went to her therapist and she was like, all right, I got six weeks. I'll do whatever you need me to do. Give me all the worksheets. I'll fill them out and I'll bring it back to you. But let, let's get this done. And he was like, that's not how this works. <laughs> it's the same thing um, with us. Yeah, we want we want someone to like tell us step by step what to do. And uh, if you can't do that, then you're, you're no use to me. Um <laughs> which obviously says a lot about us and yeah why we need my type a to type b course to be continued (laughs) i would yes if you develop that i would share it far and wide (laughs) the question is how do how does one do that when one hasn't figured that out for themselves yet (laughs) well and i think that's really the hard thing right everybody you need and I, i say this i mean i still have my type a tendencies 
you know, but I used to be very, very, very type A when it came to running Mm -hmm. and you almost need, like, you kind of need this personal Mm -hmm. come to Jesus kind of Mm -hmm. almost traumatic event, whether it's actually traumatic or kind of like this, like something that shakes you to your core Mm -hmm. that forces you to reevaluate your relationship with the sport. Um, or you need a really creative, like wild child friend who is just so chill that like, they're like, come on, take the day off. And you're like, no, I can't. And they're like, you know, you need someone like that. That's, that's the other thing I've seen, like someone, one of those really creative type B true people. Um, they can also rub off positively sometimes. (laughs) Do you find more type B people in the trail running community? I feel like it's where a lot of the type B's tend to hang out I mean I think it's a lot more I think it's a lot more perform performance based and and, um stressful than we might think um I think yeah and I actually came across this with Zoe writing the book where I I think I wrote a um a phrase about like trail running being relaxed and she was like it's not actually that relaxed um and I've seen that for myself now that I'm in the world um I more find it in in just my my work in general um I often have to work say have to work with choose to work with these creative types who quite frankly drive me crazy because they're so like they would never listen to this podcast because they're so like go with the flow or like you know I'm running along and I'm going to just jump in this river mid run you know that kind of thing um and not pause my watch while I do my it watch, <laughs> but not, you know not, not, like barely take their shoes off and just like throw them back on again um it's uh, but I have to say, as much as they can drive me crazy, they're so good for me in in opening my eyes. Um, so, um, yeah, I, for me, it's more in my work life I've come across these people. And, uh, yeah, it can be a very positive influence, even if at some points I don't necessarily enjoy the uh, challenge it's forcing me to go through. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> And I think it's a good lesson just, I mean, not to therapize all of this, but like if something makes you uncomfortable, dig into that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Why does this make you, why does it make you uncomfortable not to pause your watch? Why does it make you uncomfortable to miss a day of running? Why does it, you know, that's, yeah. I feel like a really good place to start for Although somebody Although maybe not make constant, because you know, that's what we do in our races. I'd say, except for the thing you're already pretty good at doing getting uncomfortable in like pushing yourself in a race we're not saying <laughs> do more of that why does this make me uncomfortable well because you challenge your body is saying like stop and you're telling it to keep going because you're um, redlining it you're <laughs> yeah <laughs> pain caves are different i'm talking yeah. about the you know <laughs> yeah yeah the there other stuff <laughs> yes especially the mental stuff Tina, thank you so much for sharing your time and your experience with us. I cannot wait to read this book. I know it's coming out next year. Um, Where are you in the publishing process? Yeah, thank you for that. Um, We are editing our final manuscript. So we're in the final stages, um, collecting pictures because it's going to have color in it. We wanted it to not be uh, like just a text and and a cover uh but have lots of pictures in it and um little boxes and stuff so we're kind of getting the final details together which I didn't realize there was 17 different stages to writing a book but there is um (laughs) and so I'd say we're like three quarters of the way through right now um with all the things we have to do and so it's exciting also terrifying because you could always go back another time um and at make edits so at some point you have to hand it off and say this is the best I can do but um yeah it's been fun and I'm excited for it to come out 
I, I'm really excited to read it. Oh, I love it. I love when somebody decides to write a book, um, because it's just such a, you know, it's just, it gives you that deeper kind of understanding mm-hmm. and to hear their voice come through, I think is really, uh, it's really special and exciting. So, yeah, um, yeah. but until, until the book comes out, tell mm-hmm. us where we can find you. I know you have your own podcast mm-hmm. and Instagram and business and, um, tell us where we can find you and what you're up to these days. Yeah. So, um, I, yeah, I do have my own podcast, which, um, we were joking before this recorded. I'm kind of one of the original running podcasts, but, um, uh, it's kind of shifted over the years into now I, I primarily focus on like lifting up voices from underrepresented groups. That's kind of where my heart is. Um, and so if that's something that speaks to you running for real podcast, but I would actually say more even than the episodes, uh, I do these things called together runs where I take a microphone with me on my run and it's very meditative and grounding. So if what we've talked about today, particularly in um, in terms of your relationship to running has hit with you. I think these will be really powerful. They're very relaxed, very calming, um, and people really enjoy them. So you can find that on the feed called Together Runs. Um, and then I would say, yeah, Instagram, um, <clears throat> Tina Muir 88, that's T-I-N-A-M-U-I-R, um, 88 on Instagram are probably the places to find me. Um, and then, yeah, if you want to check out the other things Running For Real is doing, you can check out our website at runningforreal.com. And thank you for giving me the space to share those. Oh, of course. Um, yeah, what you're doing, I mean, you are, I, I'm not joking when I say it's one of the OG running podcasters. <laughs> and I mean, I consider myself a, a relative upstart in the space. Um, but I know having your podcast on rotation when I was new to the sport, it was just, I mean, it's just so nice to be able to listen to, I think people who are, I mean, running like your podcast, running for real, like you're just trying to portray an honest, like of what, what it's really about, you know? And I think that some, everybody kind of has their own strengths. And I know there's some shows out there that are really kind of like the highlights real, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm interested in, in the fact that, you know, life is not rainbows yeah. and roses all the time, or, yeah. you know, we want it to be. And I think it's really important to, to have those conversations and to confront, um, you know, the reality of, of what it means. Yeah. No, thank you for that. I appreciate that. And, um, yeah, that's always been my strength is, uh, is sharing with people that it's not, um, as you said, what did you say? A dozen roses, rainbows and roses, rainbows and roses. (laughs) I swear everyone has a different way of saying like rainbows and every person has like a different, like mine's sunshine and rainbows, but everyone has a rainbows (laughs) and something. So it's always funny to hear yours is rainbows and roses. Got it. Rainbows and roses. Yeah. <laughs> Not a lot of rainbows and roses here. We've done some pretty <laughs> heavy <laughs> topics this season. Uh, no, but it's, it's all, all in the service of trying to make us just into better, better people and happier runners. And you are absolutely doing that. So thank you for the work that you're doing because it, it matters. So appreciate I appreciate you. that. Thank you so much, Tina. This was a great conversation. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.